And that is the word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. May God write it on our hearts that we would not sin against him. There is a difference between gasoline and the way it burns and uh, diesel. So when I was a kid, my dad always started fires in our backyard. He would have various brush piles, and they would all turn into big brush piles, and then he would take diesel and drip it all over the fire, and I'd always find these weeds that you could break off to turn into like a giant spear, you know, and he'd let me wrap a paper towel around it, and we'd light that paper towel on fire, and I'd run at the burn pile like a, you know, Indian. I'd throw my spear at it, and because it was diesel, it would slowly catch and eventually spread around the whole thing. That's when I was a kid. Fast forward to when my kids are in the backyard with me and we're burning some leaves. I was out of diesel, so I thought, I'll just use gasoline like my dad did. My dad used diesel, not gasoline. And so me and the kiddos are all around the fire pit and I'm soaked it in gas. I could smell fumes, but you know, I let it sit there for about a minute or two. And I was like, all right, kids, y'all ready? Yeah. And I didn't let them get anything to throw in it, thank goodness, but I just lit it with a lighter. Well, it sounded like a bomb went off in my backyard. I lost half the hair on my right arm, almost lost an eyebrow, and my kids were screaming and crying and running for the house in terror. Emotions, left unchecked, are like gasoline often, not like diesel. Emotions left unchecked are a lot like the gas that was on those leaves. And if you get uh, one igniting of it, it can explode and do a lot of damage. Emotions that burn hot and are not led by the truth destroy. We are a type of people that turn green with envy. And we do that quickly. You know, uh, our jealousies that are that green envy, they can ensnare our senses and they can lead us deeper into a sinful craving for control. Jealousy, envy is like gasoline in that regard. It's explosive. As humans, we are people who can turn red with anger. We let our rage consume our minds. When rage consumes the mind, we become violent in our sinful desire to hurt others or ourselves. As humans, we are a people that turn black with death. And like that gasoline's ultimate danger that we worry about, it could kill us. Our sinful emotions always bring death to our souls personally. They often bring the stench of death into those around us. And if they're left unchecked long enough, they will actually bring death. We will find murderous anger or envy that leads us to want to stone someone to death. Green, red, black. It's a progression of sorts in our text today concerning the emotional state of the Jews that are rejecting Jesus Christ in the Asia Minor area as Paul, Barnabas, and their crew are in Antioch, Pisidian, and then eventually moving to Iconium, preaching the gospel. Green, black, red is the emotional state of the Jews. They are green with envy. They are eventually red with anger. And in that last city, they're black with death. Our passage has all three emotions present, and it'll serve as our outline this morning. It's easy to be in opposition to the work of God when we are led by our emotions. We can find ourselves uh, slipping into envy, anger, 
and death ourselves. So as readers this morning, as Luke would have reported this then to the churches, I think that there is a history here, but there's also a warning in these passages to not reject Christ and his authority, to not reject the constant diesel-like burn of the consistency of gospel preaching. Paul and Barnabas will stand out as an example of diesel Christians, and these Jews will be an example of gasoline-driven, emotional-driven, non-believing Jews. We can be kept in Christ from green envy, from red anger, and from black death. And we believe that, church, right? Amen? I mean, we believe the gospel this morning. But as we see it preached in this place where it was rejected, we want to study the passage closely. And I think together this morning with humility, a humility that would ultimately and should lead us to Christ, I think we can see that there's help. There's help for even rejecting the gospel-type Jews in, in the truth. So let's go green first, okay? Let's look at the passage together and see this green with envy. Look in verses 44 through 49. That's where this first point gets derived from. Before the green envy can grip the hearts of the Jews, um, they, as a people in this synagogue in Antioch, Pisidian, they have had the opportunity to hear the message, the joyous, awesome message of salvation in Christ alone. They have heard that last week. If you remember previously to our passage uh, one week before this, they were in the Sabbath, they were talking, mentioned in verse 44 here, the Jews have heard the gospel, and now they want to hear it again. Um, if anything, maybe they're blue with happiness, right? Uh, blue is associated with happy and calm thoughts, so, you know. There's at least an excitement in, in everyone, and it's cool. I mean, how neat would it be to have the next Sunday almost the whole city gathering to hear the word of the Lord? I mean, genuinely, like, how awesome would that be? To see a whole city turn out from all the rumor mill and all of the, the, the talk about what is this strange new message of hope and people want to come and hear about it. And that's what's happening here in verse 44. Before the envy can strike and the situation turns green with jealousy, there is a genuine drawing that God is doing. So what happens between verses 44 and 45? Well, you see it right there at the beginning of 45, don't you? Envy happens. Say, when the Jews saw the crowds, not heard the message, we don't, we don't go straight to gospel preaching. Instead, they see, they don't hear, they see something, the crowds. You know, envy, jealousy, says they were filled with jealousy. It's like a ravenous wolf. You probably know this if you've ever experienced jealousy. It's like a ravenous wolf. A ravenous wolf is a hungry wolf. And its favorite prey, envy's favorite prey, is to consume someone else. That's like its ultimate prey. And these Jews were filled with green envy when they saw the people, when they saw the people, and they were unable to see something else in the message. They weren't able to see Christ. I mean, they got their eyes off of what the message was, the, the word, what they could have heard, and instead they're seeing a people. They, 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 they're seeing not the gospel, uh, they're seeing their power being taken away. They're, they're seeing their, their influence being challenged. They're honestly looking in a mirror, right? They're seeing the worst of themselves. And that wolf that's hungry, that desire to be jealous, it begins to consume them. It begins to consume them to the point to where they not just you know, discourage people, they actually begin to revile Paul. Do you see that in 45? They revile and reject the word of the gospel being preached. 
They do it the way that their kinsmen rejected and reviled the word, capital W, which was being revealed in Jesus's life and death, not even just a, a few years before this. We must learn from them today, church. We need to learn first from them today here. If you're a beloved church member, if you're saved, if, you, if you're not and you're, you're here listening, a reader, a hearer of the message that Luke wants to present, you got to learn from the mistakes that are in this passage. Okay, learn from their mistakes. Learn from their jealousy and their envy. We should take heed of it. Paul's warning to them is prescriptive for a person who finds themselves green with the envious illusion of control. You see, the main issue that they're after here is they want control and they don't have it. They covet control. They don't have it. And so they're led away from the truth. It's very simple. Envy and jealousy of a godly example should point us to the humility of Christ. When we realize our sin, we take into account our own unworthiness. That should be, if we ever see envy in ourselves, jealousy, if we're Christians in Christ, we should react with something that draws us away from the lie that we want control and to Jesus. But you'll notice in 45 and 46, they revile Paul. They're driven more into their sin. And Paul and Barnabas speak boldly to them. And what is their answer for them? You have seized control of your own life. And you've done it in a very evil way. Look what Paul says specifically. It was necessary. So, so it, was, it was necessary. I mean, he's implying God's preached word to them first was a priority of God. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But now he speaks into what they get when they choose jealousy, envy over Christ. Since you thrust it aside, and underline this, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. We see the words of Paul and Barnabas boldly spoken here to these men and women that are caught in this trap of jealousy and when they speak it, they're showing these people are having the exact opposite effect that somebody who would respond rightly to the gospel should have. They're going the opposite way. The Jews here, and we can say for anyone who refuses to believe, their green eyes keep them away from the word of God. You know, Jeremiah had prophesied to the ancestors of these men and women. In Jeremiah 5.3, 700 years prior, he said, that they would be a people who made their faces harder than rock, that they, uh, they have refused to repent. So Jeremiah prophesied about the people, the Jews in his day. It is here true of these Jews. Notice who judges them in the passage for this. I told you, if you're underlining, if you're looking in your Bible carefully, you'll notice Paul was very clear. You judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Notice that when it comes to rejecting the gospel, God is not the one mentioned to be the judge of these people being unworthy of eternal life with him. Now, we know God is the judge, and in finality, as he separates on the last day, he'll judge. Right? But here, as they live and breathe, as they reject the gospel, the language Paul uses is, you have justly condemned yourself, essentially. You have judged your own self unworthy. That's what 
habitual envy apart from God's grace is. It's enough rope to hang yourself. Habitual envy, habitual control of your life and a desire to have it leading you away from Christ, it's just enough rope for you to hang yourself. Jesus said, whoever believes in him is not condemned. uh, But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Here are these Jews fulfilling exactly what Jesus said. So despite the Jews being green with envy, Paul and Barnabas find the exact opposite reaction in the Gentiles, don't they? And that is Luke's main intention of showing us this passage. He is trying to show that despite the the proclivity of human nature to be so control-driven that you would take salvation out of God's hands and you would condemn your own self to hell, God in his mercy does have a people that can find the exact opposite. When they hear the gospel preached, they don't enviously run to the areas of their life they can control. They submit everything in their life to God. It's the Gentiles. Look at the results. Look at 48 and 49. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, when do we get the sovereignty of God in this passage over salvation? We get it in those who believe. Not those who reject the gospel, but God has appointed these men and women, these Gentiles who find faith in Christ this day. That's amazing. The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region as a result of God's amazing ability to appoint these to eternal life. Envy-free reception of the gospel results in right understanding of the power and sovereignty of God. I want you to note that this morning. Envy-free, so free of envy, reception of the gospel results in a right understanding of the power and the sovereignty of God. You give up control of your life and trusting in the gospel alone, you gain an understanding of who's in control of your life. It is the one who appointed you. That word couldn't be any clearer. If you are here today and like me, you struggle to believe assurance that is blessed like we just sang about, that is yours in Jesus, don't you know that here as it speaks of the one God the Father, the one who, who these uh, non-believing Jews are opposing and the Gentiles are understanding as their father, that God appointed you in Christ to be with him forever. If that can't comfort a weary soul, maybe your soul is sick green with envy. Maybe you want to hold on to the control that you think is in your life. It's an illusion. The language here is so strikingly different at the reception of salvation than the rejection of it above. It's worth noting it. I think it's worth committing it to memory. If you want to make it through the book of Acts, hold on to as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. You got to hold on to that. For it is your hope in life and death that you are not your own, but that you have been what? Bought. Bought with the blood of Christ, right? Right? So honor God with your life. As many as that are appointed to eternal life will believe, and that's on God. And so the hope of the person listening is let us be like Paul and Barnabas. Let us actively seek the salvation of the lost, even if it means turning aside from jealousy or others or jealousy in ourselves. We should hold out a gospel like Paul and Barnabas that is preached clearly enough that you begin to challenge the control that people think they have over their lives. 
This is what Paul and Barnabas did. I mean, talk about an opportunity to give in to the whole city being there, to maybe not preach the gospel as boldly, but they don't. They preach it boldly. I imagine him exegeting. We don't get the message now, but we get at least a clear understanding that, that they were teaching Christ alone, not keeping the works of the law, Christ alone. Faith in Christ alone. Church, I I challenge us to rise up and be a church free of green envy and and to turn to the people that we, you know, see trying to grab control of their own lives and encourage them. Christ died for you. Will you trust in him? Now, the thing is, is a sinful reaction may happen and sometimes it may get worse and that's what happens next. So what what was green with envy turned into red with anger. Luke has shown us that the envy within these Jewish rejectors of the gospel is enough for them to condemn themselves. And he's noted that. But that was not enough for them. Now there seems to be a progression to aggression. Progression to aggression that's happening in our passage. Envy gives way to anger in the Jews. We, grow, we go from uh, green to red. Look at verses 50 through 52 again. The Jews incited the devout women of high standing, the leading men of the city, and stirred up persecution, see that, against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out. So anger incites them. It's like gasoline added to the fire of envy. It leads them to incite others. Notice Luke's inclusion of the devout women of high standing and saying that first. I think context helps here. Excuse me. These women are Greek women. Uh, they're, they're Greek women, not Jewish women, uh, who have either converted to the Jewish faith, but have Greek origins in them, or they're considered God-fearers. They come to the synagogue, they listen, and, and, and they're, they're, not, they're, they're still maintaining kind of a Gentile status, haven't fully converted. In that time, in a place like Pisidian Antioch, historians estimate that 50% of the conversions that were happening among the Jews from, from pagan Gentile religions to the Jewish faith were women. They estimate that 80% of those who weren't necessarily converting but were God-fearers were at least coming around, 80% of that population attended synagogue uh, were women. In their anger against Paul and Barnabas, these Jewish leaders seek to stir up persecution. And they don't go to the men first. They go to the women. They go to these leading women. And they begin to, in their anger, hand them if we're running with fire analogies, right? Molotov cocktails. They hand them, you know, these, these bottles of, of, of flame and fire, fuel. And they begin to say things like, these men are outsiders, they're intruders. They're here to rob what you've come to know and understand in this synagogue. They literally try to incite these women. Now, you can ask a million questions of the text of why do they go to the women first? But I think Luke includes this Because he wants to to show that this is just anger that leads to disruption. They're disrupting their cultural norm. So save anything we think about men, women, complementarianism, the Bible today, egalitarian things, all those conversations. Put all those on the side and even just realize in this culture, women were not the first leaders. They They were a subclass in many ways in Rome and they served. There was a lot of the engagement with it. But... These Jews who reject the gospel, they know. Their anger leads them to know that when it comes to swaying husbands, 
let's get their wives talking about these things. Because if we can get the women on board, the men will come. The men will come. And so I think Luke says, look, they incited the devout women of high standing, the leading men, that'd be a lot of their husbands or or friends in the city, and they do what? To stir up persecution. Anger is so sinister, isn't it? It thinks creatively of how to stop the gospel. Oftentimes, our lack of understanding control and envy, it leads us to want other things besides the gospel. Anger takes it a step further. Okay, it demands other things besides the gospel truth, and it will have those things. And so it meticulously looks for an angle to get in there and to destroy gospel truth. That's what's happening here. Rejection of the gospel leads to a a, a storm, a storm that starts. These Jews are red with anger. Their fury and envy has spilled over into the leadership of this city. It says they drove them out of the district. Uh, Brothers, sisters, this is not to be taken lightly. They are threatened with violence if they do not leave. That's the idea here. These Jews, their anger, it's like an unchecked tornado. Paul and Barnabas are the trailer park. And, and, And it is going to blaze a path of destruction until it's done. Now, the good news of our text, even in this point, is what? The preserving work of God, despite tornadic rage of the Jews here. Look at the next verses. Look at 51. But they shook off the dust from their feet. It says of Paul and Barnabas. Shook off the dust of their feet against them and went to Iconium, went to another city. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You see the contrast so clearly here? The Holy Spirit gives Paul and Barnabas the discernment they need to move on. While it simultaneously sovereignly working in the hardening and the anger that's existent in this, in this, in this scheming plan against the gospel. I mean, God, God is so over this whole moment. He's filling the disciples with joy in the Holy Spirit. And yet we also see these devout, these devout men and women of the city being stirred up to angry sin. And God's in control. It may not seem like a godly thing to us in passing over this scripture, but the ability that Paul and Barnabas have to not let this situation get them defeated and discouraged is huge. And I want to bring it out to you by way of encouragement again. If you need to be like them in point one, and by trusting in Christ, let whatever you think is you're in control of leading you away from the gospel to lead you to humility like Paul and them. Now, if you're going to have control of your own raging anger, let the joy of the filling of the Holy Spirit, let it lead you like them, to do what? To not get beat down and discouraged in your failures. I mean, by all accounts, if we're talking about what's happening in this moment, it's a failure. The whole city showed up. They preached the gospel. The effect it has is envy that leads to persecution. Persecution that leads to such anger and revolt that all the people they're after, like the Gentiles that they want to preach to, a lot of them get stirred up with such anger that they buy into a cabal-type conspiracy to run them out of town. If that won't leave a missionary discouraged, I don't know what would. But notice the text takes no time in 51, 52 to tell us that Paul and Barnabas were discouraged. Instead, it actually records the exact opposite, doesn't it? It says that they had confidence to continue in the work. The shaking off of the dust is them obeying 
Christ's word. Now check this out. When discouragement grips our soul, it normally will produce things like envy, like anger, like sin, okay? And that's a bad thing. We don't want that. But if we're in Christ, discouragement can grip our soul. It's going to squeeze the soul. Like you squeeze a lemon, right? And juice comes out. And if you're going to squeeze the soul of a saint, you hope that in that deep discouragement, in that vice grip, no matter how much anger and envy maybe does come out, eventually, what is the hope you have? Well, it should be the word of God. Christ's words. And I love that when put in the vice grip of failed missions in Antioch, Pisidian, what do Barnabas and what do uh, Paul do? They remember that Jesus said to his disciples, something they didn't even hear. They didn't even hear it from the lips of Jesus directly. They heard it from his, his followers who passed it on. So this is a testimony to discipleship. And in discipleship, they've heard, you know what Jesus told us when he sent us out? He said this, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. And when squeezed in the discouraging failure, where it looks like envy and anger are going to rule this city, there comes the word of God. Shake off your dust. In other words, let this not fret and worry and ruin your soul. But give your soul to the one who's in the next city, eager to appoint many to salvation to believe Paul, Barnabas, and shake off your dust. It is a judgment, but it is not a judgment that would be the hands. Think about it like this. You, you call down fire from heaven. How would you do that? You would grab at it, right? And you would say, God, kill, right? And so that would be like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You, you want to bring down fire with your hands. But this is kind of an opposite thought. This is, God, we're going to shake off our feet. In other words, I'll leave the dust to you. I'm going to trust that your judgment is enough and they'll face it. We've preached the gospel and now we're going to move on. You see the difference? One will allow you to continue and to continue with hope, to show up at the next place. And no matter what's there, know that your conscience was clear. You preached the gospel. You hoped for them. You helped them. You held it out before them faithfully. And so they understand that as they action shows, but then also, as you see there, the Holy Spirit is with them, guys. With what? With joy. Like real joy, even though there's failure. At least as the world would see it. They're filled with joy. They're filled with the Spirit. Now, surely there's good news, right? I mean, they've been forced to endure the green envy of the Jews, the red anger of the Jews inciting the Gentiles, that brings us to our final point to close with this morning. It doesn't get better. It gets black. Green, red, black. Black with death. The next city they visit, Iconium, it really is an exact replica of what they experienced in Antioch, Pisidia. The subject of most of Acts 13, okay, most of the chapter of Acts 13 is just a recording of Paul initially showing up. An almost carbon copy in another city, the exact same thing happens. Paul shows up, goes into the synagogue. Do you see that in verse 1? He entered the Jewish synagogue. He spoke, in the, and what happened? A great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. Praise God. We should not overlook that verse. But we know this tune. Now, the difference we know in closing today is not the faithfulness of Paul and Barnabas, truthfully. Because honestly, it, it hasn't changed. It remains a constant through this. If we're going to note something, what we need to note is instead we note the rising persecution and anger. Okay, what came from envy from the Jews turns now to murder, to death. Verse one through three, 
Look at them again. They're familiar, right? We're preaching in the synagogues. They do find, again, that unbelieving Jews oppose the gospel message. It says that they stirred up the Gentiles, poisoning their minds. I mean, if that doesn't sound like that cocktail again, right? The Molotov cocktail I told you about. If that ain't the whispers of the devil, the world, their flesh, telling these Gentiles, don't trust in this. I don't know what is. Sounds similar. We don't know the reason in this city, and that's why I'm trying to show the outcome here. I think Luke's point is the outcome, not so much the main reason these Jews take up. But the outcome, when we faithfully share the gospel, will always be one of two things, life or death. You can also say that's about preaching the gospel. Brother and sister, hear me out. You can also say this about believing the gospel. If you believe the gospel or you don't, you'll have one or two reactions in you, life or death. There's life in the visit to Antioch. Notice verse three, the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace. So in other words, in this city that ends with them being ran out of town, there is some positive and notice the origin of it in verse three, the Lord is the one who's bearing witness to the word of his grace. The Lord is granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. That should encourage a Christian that reads this passage. It encouraged me. Who's the one bearing witness to his word? Well, the Lord is. Who's the one granting signs and wonders? It's the Lord. It's the Lord's work that gets true believers excited. But I want you to see the main thing. The main thing gets them ready for is the difficulty because there may be life, but there is also death. Notice verse four and five again in closing here. The people of the city were divided. It said, some sided with the Jews, some with the apostles. But look at this. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, that implies the whole city, to mistreat them and to stone them. They continued and they left, right? Why? For fear of being killed. Now the jealousy we have seen, The anger we've just witnessed among the Jews in the previous city, it skips to the murderous plots that are here. The sinful flesh of humanity will not be satisfied until it is restored by God or it's burning in hell for eternity. Let me say that again. What you have here in this city, if you really want to write it down, black with death. You want to know what's black with death? A rejection of the gospel that looks like this. A sinful flesh, the sinful flesh of humanity, it will not be satisfied until it is either restored by God or it's burning in hell for eternity. I don't say that lightly. Luke doesn't record the death that rises up, the murderous threats that rise up in this text lightly, but it's true. A little bit of that hell, a little bit of that fire, a little bit of that judgment that God will punish forever A little bit of it is unleashed here. And it's unleashed against the Lord's appointed servants. God's sovereignty had this persecution ready for Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas trustingly had God in their sights. Because of that, they were able to minister there and then leave when they had to. Facing their own murder, they flee again. Now again, if nothing discourages a missionary than people being so angry with you that they lead the city to run you out of town, I think it would discourage you even more to stop and to give up, to go private, to be a little bit less serious about what you're called to do by God than to know that there was a full-blown assassination plot 
on your life. Here's Barnabas, here's Paul, and they learn. I can't imagine the scene, can you? Some people run in. Hey guys, I have news. They're planning to kill you. They want to kill you. And they don't want to do it. They, they want to mistreat you. The idea of this Greek word here is, is to defile you. They want to break you down. They want to ruin you. They want to kill you. And they want to do it publicly in the streets. A little bit of hell unleashed on you. That's what they want. Now, I, I, I read this text and I think in closing, I'm like, is that, is that who we are? Is that, is that who we are as people, like sinful man? Is he, is he a murderous man who wants to burn everything to the ground? Yeah. Yeah, left to our own devices? Absolutely. Sinful man is a man green with envy. That green envy will turn into an angry red that never gets satisfied and eventually breathes murderous threats that eventually become kept promises. Go visit with anyone in prison that succumbed to a crime of passion or a crime of uh, some related to murder or death, and they will tell you, it didn't, I didn't wake up and just think I want to kill this person and do it. They got there slowly. Even in a crime of passion, you'll find seeds of, of murder in the past that come manifest. This is the promise that sin brings, death. Now, our missionaries face this, and they face it with this certainty that these Gentiles and Jews with their rulers want to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it. They fled. They fled to Lystra and Derby. They had to go to multiple cities, cities of Laconia, to the surrounding country, verse 6 says. It's not an easy escape. They literally are hiding, essentially. I mean, they're, they're fearful for their lives as they go. But look at verse 7 in closing with me before we take communion today. I hope this hits home. Our text is so simple this morning. You may not like it. I wish it was more complex. I wish I had more to give you when trials rise up in your life and they're as heavy as this, so you think. Or maybe they actually are. I don't know. I, I, I wish, maybe... Not really, but I'm saying for, for, for the sake of talking to you and preaching from this text this morning, you know, I wish that there was some other thing than one, two, three, four, five words. Six words. In those cities that they fled to, they continued to preach the gospel. That's amazing. That's amazing, brothers and sisters. People green with envy around you, preach the gospel. People angry, red, seeing red, wanting to run you out of town, run you out of your job, run you out of your family, run you out of the corner of, 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 your, of your study. Do people want to oppose Jesus in you? Preach the gospel. If people want to hurt you and kill you, would you preach the gospel? Would you keep preaching the gospel? Oftentimes for us, the problem with envy is not on the outside, it's within. When jealousy grabs your heart, preach the gospel to yourself. I guarantee you these men, as they went city to city in a bit of a cloak and a bit of a, of a, of a, of a you know, under the radar, they were preaching the gospel to each other because I'm sure they were discouraged. 
Our text is simple. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to the lost world. They continue to preach the gospel. I mean, yeah, there's always going to be green, red, black. But we are the type of people who are ready with the gospel to endure every single color. You know why? Because there is a, a... heavenly light that will shine forever with no sun. And I can't imagine what it's going to do to the color palette when it brings to life everything that only was under the banner of green, red, and black. It's going to, it's going to light your whole world up forever. That's the hope of eternal life. It's been present throughout this whole text. It ends with the words, they continue to preach the gospel. If you have any hope of heaven, if you have any hope to be faithful, to be found faithful, Let all of your hope be in the hope of the gospel. Let it be where you start and where you finish. If you're going to endure envy and rage and murder against you for the sake of Jesus, let your hope be in the gospel. That's what Paul and Barnabas have their hope in. It says they went to the next city and they did what? They continued to preach the gospel. This pattern will not stop. (laughs) Acts is a nonstop, in your face, reality check. Preach the gospel. Don't forget the gospel. You'll forget it. Don't forget it. Treasure it. Be reminded of it. Thank God we have so many reminders in the text and in our church. So as we have one more reminder today together and we take communion, my encouragement to you is find encouragement in the example of Paul and Barnabas. Examine your own life and hold it closely to their example and realize that they're pointing you to Jesus. Their example is to follow Christ. My encouragement to you, you can find such calm in Christ. I can find it. We can find it. So let's do that together. Let's pray and find it again as we take the Lord's Supper. God, thank you so much for the song we'll sing, for the confession we'll con- uh, a sin we'll do, and for the taking of the, uh, of the bread and the juice. God, help us to abhor and hate uh, what is evil and to hold fast to what is good. This text is full of gasoline, explosive evil as people reject the gospel that is preached to them. But it's also full of hope, hope for the missionaries that we see in Paul and Barnabas. God, let their example be an encouragement to us. Father, if we have a distorted view today of our sin, Lord, if we haven't sorted that out yet, God, may we find more grace now, abundant grace and abundant life. Well, may we have the hope of eternal life held out to us in the bread and the cup today. May we take it with a pure heart. Father, keep us from uh, the evil one and protect us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.